This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Everyday grab-and-go, everyday giftable, everyday fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. 
Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. It's episode two for, as we look at week one. This time we're going to look at the offense. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to see this offense break down because it was 38 points up on the board. That's a lot of offense we get to talk about today. A lot of offense and, uh, and very focused quality of the offense in terms of, uh, of where it came from in this game. is is out of the passing game and a lot from the remarkable effort of Lamar Jackson. All right, well, let's get right into it. Let's bring Sarah in. Sarah Ellison, uh, everyone knows uh, that I believe is following this, been involved with the Ravens, doing a lot of writing, wrote something for us during the offseason as well, over on uh, filmstudybaltimore.com. So, Sarah, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Great study in the offseason. We we can't go further without mentioning that about uh, looking at run frequency for quarterbacks and seeing if there is an injury relationship to that. And I thought it did an excellent job of looking at an entire decade of data and really at least debunking the use of that decade of data to try and prove a point that might not be true overall. And, and, and that's that it, the running quarterbacks tend to get injured more, which is the common dogmatic view. And Sarah did a great job of, of presenting this data in a way that makes it seem otherwise. If you haven't seen it yet, go out to the website, filmstudybaltimore.com, take a look at it. It's great stuff. There's a podcast, and there's a separate, more detailed um, kind of a research treatment that goes with that. Yeah, that was that was a fun one to do. That one was, uh, you know, partially selfish that I wanted to win a debate with my husband that's been going on for years. So, And he's a, he's a stat – he's a – fact-based evidence-based guy and he's not easy to change his mind and i felt a little bit vindicated with that so hopefully ravens fans can use it to help with their own little debates that they have you got to win an argument every once in a while (laughs) that's for sure all right all right well fantastic well let's go over the offense this week josh you want to start us off with anything specific uh no i didn't have anything specific thought we would just jump right in there well okay we'll jump right in on the offensive line scoring then um, I'm going to I'm going to toss out how I done it. And then why don't you uh, uh, respond as you like for each player and your observations? Does that sound good, Sarah, with you? Sure thing. All right. So uh, Ronnie Stanley, uh, uh, first of all, left at halftime. Obviously, one of the serious concerns going into the Houston game is his health. And uh, in particular, we we'll get to why that's a concern later. But uh, Stanley had uh, 35 plays. And had only a couple of minus one point events in there. He also missed six blocks. Works out to be a C, including a adjustment for facing primarily Olivier Vernon on that side. Also some of Adrian Claiborne, uh, who was fairly effective in this game. Uh, but .74 aggregate score. Wasn't a really special game from Ronnie in a lot of ways before he left. But uh, certainly wasn't up to his typical standard of last year. But if he's out for any amount of time, the Ravens are really going to miss him. Uh, big time. They would miss him big time. He's a he's a cornerstone player, I think, going forward. Uh, like you said, I didn't feel like it was, you know, he was dominating anything prior, prior to that. But you saw the drop off once he went out. Um, I still don't really know how to read uh, John Harbaugh in the middle of the season with with injuries. Um, I think that the um, 
the latest he said, he was kind of all over the place. I'll tell you how I read it. He he first said that he didn't have an update Monday Monday afternoon. He said that, but that from what he had heard, it was not serious. He didn't have an update, but it was not serious, and he expected them to practice on Wednesday. So that's good. At the same time, the way I interpret that, John Harbaugh has called lots of injuries not serious before. I think his definition of not serious might be different from Ravens fans. Uh, his is, you know, kind of season ending or maybe half the season, something close to that would be serious. That's my interpretation of it. And, um, but at the same time, he said he expects him on Wednesday. So I'm waiting for the injury report to come out. I'd be relieved if even, even if he was a limited participant mm-hmm. Thursday and Thursday and Friday, cause he's a vet. He doesn't need a lot of time. So I think that's what Ravens fans should look for. Don't look for quotes. They're not. John Harbaugh isn't looking to give the opponent any advantage of knowing whether he'll be there. So look at the injury report. If he's even limited on Friday, I think there's a good chance he, you know, he could be back. Yeah, you, you, you do a great job of dissecting that. And I saw something else that Harbaugh said that I want to get to a little bit later in terms of breaking down. You really have to look at Harbaugh because he wants to tell you the truth, but then he yes. wants to, to frame it up in a way that, that, that is, you can't draw any information from it. And, and uh, I, you've hit it right on the nail. He said he expects him Wednesday unless he hears otherwise. That's basically, yeah. he's saying, I don't know, but I expect him Wednesday unless I hear otherwise. That's what, that's how I could understand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not that he even really, I don't even know that he wanted an update before Monday. So that he <laughs> could say he didn't have an update. And Plausible then, deniability. Way, I'm all for Harbaugh not revealing that to us. He's, that's what a good coach does. So I have no, no, you know, some fans get upset by that, but he's doing what he should do. I, I don't even get the slightest bit upset. I'd be very upset yeah. as a fan if he gave away our information. And Correct. That, but yeah, let's move on here. Um, Bradley Bozeman played uh, hey, the hey, entire. Real quick, did yeah. you did you have a grade on Fluker? Did you do that for the non-starters? I, I do have a grade on Fluker. I'm going to get to it. Oh my bad, my bad. Go no ahead. problem. No problem. Yeah. I mean, could, uh, did I have him next on this list? I did not, but I didn't I'll, see him on the list. That's now, since he played left tackle, let's do it right now. Fluker, Fluker okay. played 22 snaps, made 18 of his blocks, but he missed two blocks. He allowed a full pressure and a full sack, and that's always a grade killer. 10 points, 0.45 per play. Anyway, I would adjust that. It would still be an F. Uh, he did have a highlight block in there that I liked, but otherwise, it's very little that I can pick out good amongst this effort. And it really gives you an idea of just how much the Ravens play at that position will drop off if Stanley's not there. Fluker had not played any tackle since 2016. He had not played left tackle, I think, since 2013 or 14. But he played a little bit in, in one of his first two years in the league. And to make him your swing tackle just seems a little silly. Something else happened this week that just shocks the hell out of me. They took Will Holden who's the guy they were had le- at left tackle a little bit in camp, they took him off the protected list of the practice squad. Yeah. Swing tackle is, you know, not making me feel very good. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know how, how well he had played, and that's why he's unprotected. Maybe there's not much to protect, but... Um, but the, the swing tackle is not, not feeling good. Was the, was the, the highlight block for Fluker, was that the Dobbins touchdown? Is that what you had him on where Dobbins uh, went right behind him into the end zone? Uh, yep. A pancake, yeah. the pancake 93 on the play. And I'm, I have to look up who 93 is again, but, uh, yeah. And that, that looked like a, like he could do that from the guard position, which what, what he's used to, you know? So, uh, but yeah, that, that sack he gave up, it, 
it it didn't inspire a lot of confidence. It didn't inspire a lot. But but then again, I don't know that there's much behind him either, unless you make Phillips that swing guy. But they're obviously trying to put him in at right guard there. So Fluker is the answer at, at the swing tackle for now. Well, there's, only, there's only one other guy who really makes sense, and that's Holden. He's on the practice squad. He can be elevated without bringing him on, but by not protecting him. Other teams like the Browns, who just lost Jedrick Wills this week for some period of time, now might want to take a chance on him. Now, Holden's been released by every, you know, bad and good organization in the league so far. No, seriously, he's been released by seven different teams a total of eight times. Yeah. So it's not unreasonable to think that he might pass through, but he's also the only guy who has any experience at left tackle um, that's currently with the Ravens other than Stanley and now Fluker with 22 snaps. Yeah. Yeah. A situation that bears monitoring. We just need to keep our fingers crossed that Stanley is healthy. Fair enough. Well, let's keep moving through the through this right. uh, well because Bozeman was the highest rated of any of the linemen. Uh, missed five blocks, didn't have any negative events. None of the Ravens had any penalties, by the way, which really propped up the scores, which are otherwise had a lot of pressure events involved, particularly pressures, not quarterback hits. And you know, one and a third sacks is not too bad for a game, but uh, no penalties um, in, in this one. So uh, Bozeman had 52 out of 57, works out to be an A, obviously. Good things. He made he made seven level two blocks and and hit on six of seven of his pulls, continuing some fine work from last year. He specifically stuck out to me on the pulls when I went back to, and watched it a second time. Uh, other than la- that, I didn't have a lot of notes for him, and I think since I had notes on everybody else, <laughs> you know that's that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So uh, Bozeman of all people, the the guy that we're looking at and you know feeling pretty comfortable with after week one. Yeah, I, I'm, I didn't feel uncomfortable coming into the season. The Ravens basically said he had a spot. He played very well the second half of last year. So, you know, I think we've seen growth. This is a very positive thing, and, and it, he could be a very solid guard in this league for more than his rookie contract at this point is how it looks to me. For sure. All right, let's go on. This is obviously a disappointment with Matt Skura at center, or maybe not obviously, but he really played poorly in his return. Um Two penetrations. Those are run plays where I got beat. One I know you noticed was the Larry Ogunjobi play. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That? So oh yeah. So it was just uh, he went to cut him and it it, it failed. And how, how do you say it? Ogunjobi. Ogunjobi. Larry Ogunjobi. Ogunjobi. Uh, he just kind of you know jumped right over him. Hit right into Ricard. Ricard also could have secured the ball better. It never looked to me that he really had it secured. So I'm not going to, you know, I kind of blame both of them for that. Um, but, I mean, and, and Skura had a hard time with Ogajobi for more than that play. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that that was probably, I think, Skura's worst play. And there were some other bad ones. Yeah, so uh, Ogunjobi, the only way I can describe it, you, you mentioned it's a cut block. That's what he's trying to do is cut Summerine, whatever. But Ogunjobi's ability to roll over him almost like an amoeba in that thing was very impressive. <laughs> I just, it's, it's boy, you're, you're, you're going to have trouble cut blocking someone who can move like that. And, uh, and then he put his hand right on the football and dislodged it. Really the only disappointing play for the Ravens, I'd say, the whole day. I, I, even the board, the play where board kind of got confused and he's covering, yeah. that was going to be a touchdown anyway. Um, anyway, Skura, yeah. he, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I just, I don't know if you had other plays you want to highlight. I was going to put Skura in perspective real quick, but you might want to hit some other plays. 
Three other uh, pressures he, he allowed. The the other one that I really stood out was when Dobbins got hit for a negative two loss. Sarah uh, just got completely blown up on that on that play too. There were some others. Um, yep. But 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 I just I, instead of instead of rough game. I know what what you gave him an F. Yes. I, I think that looking within the game, that's fair. I, I still want to give him props, though. I mean, it is what he's come back from is really quite remarkable. I mean, gruesome in, in the injury. John Harbaugh admitted that he didn't think that Skura would would be able to be here by, by now. Um, and he thought he would be a PUP guy at this point. So, uh, you know, Skura is only going to go up from here. He's only going to get stronger. He's only going to get better. So, I mean, putting everything into context, it's we we uh, you've graded him in the past, Ken. Where where is he career-wise with the Ravens? What would you give him a grade overall? Well, he's, he's definitely been ascending all through his time, which is something I've loved about his play. But he was probably a B-minus player last year, which is which is terrific. It's exactly what you want, you know, as a as a starter playing still on his rookie contract. Uh, that's that's a wonderful return on your on your investment, and. You know, it, it just—it was such a disappointing time for the injury, giving up. He's coming up on a contract year this year, and now he, uh, you know, fortunately is getting to uh, uh, to work his way through this. Uh, I I hope he doesn't have to go to IR, but it would not shock me if he did after this game. It's only a three week commitment to go to IR now, mm-hmm. and they can return any number of players. So if they had to put him there and McCary had to start for three weeks or five weeks or whatever it takes to get Skura back right, um, you know, I think that'd be okay. I'm also okay. You know, the judgment of the coaches obviously will, will come first in this and, and they'll say whether or not they think he's ready to go. But I think we're past a point where they can, we can afford to grade Skura on a curve. It's obviously hundred percent correct. And I think everybody agrees that what he's done to get back to this point is remarkable but it's mm-hmm. now, what can you do for me next? And wh- whether McCary or maybe even Bredesen or moving Bozeman, God, I didn't want to do that, but, but might be the right answer to, to have the best possible interior offensive line the Ravens can. To, to be honest, that uh, IR hadn't crossed my mind, but when you put it in context that it's, he could be back after week three, um, if, if he's strong enough, it had crossed my mind to put McCary there. And the reason I thought that one one play in, in particular, it was um, if you go back and watch it, uh, Q3 at 1454, uh, Dobbins, he gets a good three yards. But Skura, his assignment, at least it looked to me, coaches know the assignments. We don't. We're guessing on the assignments. Mm-hmm. It looked to me that, that Skura was supposed to go up and, and get the linebacker. He was blocking nobody else. And he just wasn't fast enough to even get there. Like he got there, barely put a hand on him and the linebacker took off and just, you know, crushed Dobbins. And I, and then that was the specific play, not even the, the, the fumble, like, okay, you missed, you missed that cut, I guess. Like it was that play that I was like, I don't know if he's quite ready yet. And maybe, you know, if he's completely healthy, he's better than McCary, but Mm -hmm. Right now, is it better to have a healthy McCarry and give him a, a, a more wins? He wasn't he wasn't playing up to the level that we're, we're used to seeing. 
You know, you make a great point because this game, he had zero, zero level two blocks. And that's usually a pretty big part of Skur's game. He sometimes holds the back end of the double team. He sometimes moves to level two. And it can differ in terms of the particular front that the team opponent is showing. So there may be a, there are going to be games where the guards get more of the level two blocks. But in, in this game, I mean, I would expect Skur to get some level two activity and just showing no mobility did not pull either. Um, mm-hmm. it is not a good sign. So uh, mm-hmm. they may have had to adjust their own blocking scheme to leave Skur on the back end of double teams whenever they could. And when you get right down to it, they didn't run the ball that much in this game. They're not uh, effectively anyway. They ran it 30 yeah, times, I guess. But, they ran 30, and I think they passed 26. Pretty balanced to me. Leaning towards the rushing. So. All right. All right. Well, let's move on here. Um, Tyree Phillips is the one everybody wants to hear about because it was his first NFL game. Uh, I thought he played pretty well, and I'm always I always am happy when a rookie can deliver a C in an early outing, and that's what he did in this game. It what he was not a spotless game, but he missed only three blocks, which was the fewest of the starting linemen. He did in in addition to the missed blocks, he had some additional pressure events, uh, one penetration, uh, three and a half total pressures, split over five events. Uh, one third of a quarterback hit, one third of a sack. I charged him with. So I'm sorry. I'm looking at. I'm looking at, at uh, Brown's numbers. <laughs> he did have two and a half <laughs> pressures, a half a penetration, and a third of a quarterback hit. Uh, 77 after adjustment puts him in at the bottom of the C range. I, I, there's some good news here. He made three blocks in level two. He made all seven of his pulls. Um, good mobility from a player who really mobility was one of the questions about him playing guard. Well, I mean, yeah, and he's he's never played guard before, <laughs> so he's coming in for, as a as a college tackle. Um, it's it's interesting just today because I wanted to go back and rewatch the game for for this podcast tonight, and I specifically was looking at offensive line. And like a lot of people, because the Ravens won by so much, um, and it's hard to look at offensive line play unless you're watching the film and you can rewind and look where everybody's at. So because the Ravens had won by so much and the offense was humming outside of the the run, the rushing offense, I went away feeling like the offensive line was fine. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I went away thinking, okay, there's probably some things here and there. And then when I went back, it, it, it wasn't there. So today I tweeted, you know, my thoughts that it was the offensive line was a little concerning to me, especially if Stanley isn't, isn't healthy. If he is, you know, everybody else I feel like can improve. Anyway, when I tweeted out my my concerns, I did not list Phillips as a concern. And yet so many people replied to me, yeah, we're going to miss Yonda, yeah, we're going to miss Yonda, yeah, we're going to miss Yonda. And yes, the Ravens will. But that wasn't, to me, the massive issue. You know what I mean? It was more more, more Skur and Stanley getting hurt. So, so as a rookie... Never playing, completely happy with the C, knowing that he's knowing that he's progressed this much in an off season that was not a real. And I think showing that he he progressed that much, he can progress that much more throughout the season. Right. I I mean I agree. I'm not concerned at all about him at this point. I yeah. um, I will will ride it out, and uh, he may not be quite as good in some future games because there's a fair fair amount of differentiation game to game for offensive linemen, just like quarterbacks or running backs. But uh, I think he gives the Ravens a good chance to win, uh, being at right guard. 
Orlando Brown, I'll move on to, did not have a good game. 57 plays, only made 41 of his blocks, missed eight, bunch of pressure events, uh, a total of four and a, sorry, three and a half, uh, split over five events. I just mentioned that earlier, of course, for Tyree Phillips. He gave up a third of a sack, gave up a third of a quarterback hit, uh, one penetration in there. So it ended up being a 60 after a huge adjustment for Miles Garrett, who was really giving him the primary problems all day. And Garrett's too fast for him, and he also can bull rush him. And the fact that either of those was an option was more of a problem for Brown than I've ever seen him have with any other rusher. The Ravens also did something different offensively that was putting Brown at a disadvantage they didn't have last year. They ran many fewer read option plays, and they ran less pistol than they had last year, which meant Mm -hmm. that they weren't freezing Miles Garrett on that front side of most running plays nearly as much as they have in the past. Just going to ask you a question. You, you already partially answered it. Um, I was going to ask you how much of an effect on, on Brown not playing well, because I agree with your assessment, how much of it was Garrett, which you just kind of put in there that, I mean, we all know it's who Garrett is. But then mm-hmm. you put in there the pistol, so it's not freezing him as much. How much you was affected by not having Yonda next to him? You know, that's just not what I would say was really the problem. Yonda occasionally would get, would be good at giving a bailout block when he didn't have an assignment himself, but you can't mm-hmm. depend on that too much. Uh, a, a player like Garrett is very savvy, and he'll fan that player out as much as he feels like he can. Um, as a pass blocker, as a run blocker, uh, he's going to, he's going to do what he needs to do. And Yonda would have typically been assigned either inside on a double team, or if they run the, the read option to that side, Brown would have had the much easier assignment of blocking Yonda's man to tee him up for him. And then working to level two or level one and a half, as I call it, to get a combination block that hits either that scraping linebacker or somebody a little further downfield. Gotcha. Okay. You know, I don't have much, I don't have much to add. I mean, I felt like Orlando had his hands full with Garrett all day. It seemed if Garrett wasn't like running past him, like you said, he was bull rushing him. Um, I, I, it's hard that play where, where Ronnie Stanley got hurt. I hate to put that all on, on, on Orlando. He was getting like, just, he was taken for a ride by Garrett, and then there was a corner blitz that kind of snuck in there. Uh, and then, you know, Jackson was was sacked, and then Ronnie got pushed into that pile. I think that's where he, he got rolled up on on his ankle. Um, so it's hard to completely – I mean, the corner blitz was coming, and Orlando had his hands full with Garrett. But, um, I mean, it was it – was, and I will say this, because Garrett didn't look like – this is one of those games statistically. It didn't look like Garrett did a lot of damage. Because I think he like came up with one tackle, one was that, that tackle was for a loss. I think he only had what was it, one quarterback hit. Mm-hmm. Um, it just looked like he didn't have a big day, but he really affected that pocket. And I think that Lamar, uh, we'll get to him, bailed out the O line a lot. Oh yeah, there were so many times, so many times, the pocket was collapsing, pressure was coming in. And he either got rid of the ball quick or he took a couple steps or he ran outside. I mean, he bailed them out. And that's another reason why I think I came away thinking the offensive line was good. Like, 
Oh, like Lamar legitimately makes all of them look better. I cannot tell you how many times I was like, any other quarterback, they're in trouble. But Lamar makes it look so easy. He sees the pressure. He knows where it's coming from. He has quick reactions and he makes smart decisions. Time and time and time again, he made the offensive line look better than it really did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the stat I have to summarize what you just said is Lamar Jackson had ample time and space. And that's a remind people of the viewers of the show or listeners certainly know what that is by now. But it's a three second pocket with a 60 degree arc to step into the throw. And if the, the three seconds has to be if it would have held up that long if the ball was out earlier, if that makes sense. Only four of 27 dropbacks did Lamar have ample time and space this game, 15%. And yet, despite that, he threw for a quarterback rating of 152.1. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Nearly perfect. When 85% of the time, he did not have ample time and space to throw the ball. Absolutely incredible. And that's the stuff he doesn't get credit for. Oh, I mean, I, I hope he's getting some credit around the league this week. I mean, the other thing was he, he had under pressure, which is slightly different from under ATS as a definition. He had a 140 rating there, not not, not you know taking out those passes. I mean, one of the ample time and space throws was his best throw of the day. It was a, it was the PL 47 to Brown. So, uh, you know, he. Okay. It's it, it, he was actually four for four on his ATS throws, but Maureen and I were actually just scoring the game together, and she's writing down on the sheet because I my handwriting is completely unreadable, and I'm I'm kind of calling it off as we go, and she goes, "That can't be not ATS again." That's you know he's on all these consecutive not ATSs, and these are all you know twenty, thirteen, sixteen, eleven, nine kind of throws he's making every down, particularly in that drive at the end of the half. Uh, it's oh, remarkable. That one was all him, all him. Yeah, just out, outrageous the way he was able to do that. Yeah, are we in the Lamar now? Are we, go ahead. Are we, go uh, ahead with Lamar. <laughs> you know, let's let's toss in. We'll we'll do it, but I'll just toss in that Powers played two snaps, made both his blocks, and McCarry played eight snaps and made had five points out of eight. So that takes us through the offensive line. Let's talk some Lamar. Um. Well, just big picture. Um, a lot of people say this. I've said it. All right, wrap your mind that not only was Lamar Jackson the MVP last year, but he did it in historic ways, rushing and passing. Wrap your mind around the thought that he's even better. He's even better as a third. Now he's becoming more a veteran. It's his third year. He hasn't, you know, started all those, those times, but he's 20 and three in the regular season. And as a third-year veteran, Patrick Mahomes said that he really didn't understand, really understand how to read defenses until his third year. The game is slowing down for Lamar, and Lamar is wicked fast. And he's wicked fast physically, and he's wicked fast mentally. The decisions he makes, the vision that he has, it's, it's absolutely incredible. So there's a very small group of people that have, repeated his MVP. We're far too early to say that he's going to repeat, but you can't get off to a better a better start. I mean, he completely resumed his MVP form from last year and 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 got even better and we can talk about how he got better, but um he's he's just incredible to me. It's just it, you even though I'm like one of the people who, you know, fight the fight for Lamar, even I am still John the floor with the things that he can do. 
Yeah, he's he's uh, certainly a remarkable athlete, and he didn't really have a lot of the other advantages this week of having a really effective run game that was freezing defenders. Not, he, he, I, exactly. I think. He, yeah. The other, you know, the other thing coming into this game was that Lamar, there was some mystery injury that happened where his arm might have been tired or he might have had a groin injury and didn't really seem to maybe be necessarily walking right. Nothing appeared wrong this last Sunday. He, there's yeah. nothing about his shoulder that's apparently wrong from the way he threw the football. And I'd say also, I mean, he looked like he ran the football normally, even though the Ravens didn't try and run much read option. I only saw a couple of read options on the first three drives. I don't even know if there's another one after that. So, you know, it's very, very strange that there would be so few of those. I'm not sure what's going on exactly. Maybe they want to get away from as many design runs, or maybe they just saw the opportunity to take advantage of the Browns was in the secondary in this game. Right. This, the Browns secondary, to, to you know, again, put it in perspective, was, was banged up. I know they had already put their safety on uh, IR, Mm-hmm. He's done for the season. I think was it one of their linebackers out, one of their corners, one of their starting corners were out. So I mean, I mean, just imagine that that one of the Ravens starting safeties and one of their starting corners and one of their starting linebackers were all out. Okay. You're gonna say, okay, that team um could 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 attack that. And I think that's what the Ravens did. So I'm with you. It's I wanna see another game or two to see if it's uh if it's, you know, trying to get him to run less. But I, I just don't think it is. I think the Ravens, they've preached this, and for some reason we don't want to believe them. They're going to take advantage of what the what the opponent gives them, and they're going to take they're going to attack the opponent's weaknesses, you know? So um, so I'm reserving to see if it's really going to be like this. But you're right. There was not a lot of pistols or read options. I, um, Sarah, I'm hearing some clicking on your end. Are you plugged in with a... With a uh... Ethernet cable to your computer? Uh, is that any better? It might It might be. We'll have to let it go. But I didn't hear any clicking there for a little bit. So I, I just want to make okay. sure that... that it, was, um, it was just when you were waving your hands. Oh. Okay. Well, I get a little, I get yeah. a little animated. That's all yeah. it was. <laughs> all right. Thanks, thanks, thanks for working Josh. through that with us. We really appreciate that. Um, uh, you know, the other thing that the overarching point I want to make, and you got to lead in with good overarching points about this is that I think this game should dispel some of the notion that the offense is built for Lamar as opposed to by Lamar. I mean, Lamar lifted this team on his shoulders in this game by having ATS not be an issue at all for him. And one of the common, um, uh, Russell Wilson advocate comments is that the entire Ravens offense is built for Lamar Jackson. Well, of course you should try and do that. And they did try and do that. And there are elements of it. They're certainly extremely good about that, but it's not, it's, it's really also built by Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson makes everybody on this offense better. He makes the linemen better. He makes the tight ends way better in terms of their ability to deal with play action and whatnot. So it's, I think it's foolish to still say that Lamar was put in the in the best possible situation, like putting Babe Ruth in Yankee Stadium at age you know, 24 <laughs> or whatever it was. I mean, it's it's just it's it's about Lamar too. Uh, you know, if you tell me if if this is where the, along the lines of what you're talking to me. It's the the phrase I always hear is Lamar is a system quarterback, <laughs> which is a stupid line to me. 
with all due respect to whoever says it. But to me, a system quarterback is a system is so good that you just keep plugging in any any Joe Schmo and not any Joe Schmo, but you know, an average quarterback, and that ever and that quarterback excels because the system is so good. No, 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 no. Lamar Jackson is the inspiration for the Ravens system. Okay. And so the Raven system is Lamar Jackson. So it's what it's what you're saying. It's built, it's built completely around his skill set because he drives it because nobody else has it. Nobody else has it. He is the system. He isn't a system quarterback. That's right. I mean, if if your if your system, quote unquote, is to wait for the next Lamar Jackson to come along so they can they can run your offense then you don't have a system. <laughs> so you're, exactly. You're, you're, exactly. You're, you're, <laughs> no, no other quarterback can run this system <laughs> because Lamar is the system. <laughs> right. All right. A couple of statistical anomalies about Jackson in this one. Variety of arm angles, by the way. I really like that. Particularly the right sideline throw to Boykin. It's almost like, to me, that throw was a throw he's missed a couple times in both 18 and 19 when it's been a wide-open receiver and it's just been too easy a throw. The, the phrase that Bruce Arians has used is he wanted to hand him the football. All right. And and in this one, he actually was running. It was on the run. He's an odd arm angle. And it was, a, it was a degree of difficulty throw. And I think that actually helped him not think about it. It was just it was a it was a weird situation. Uh, but I love that play. Oh, it was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. I mean, you 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 see that kind of stuff with Mahomes all the time. I mean, it's just these mm-hmm. different arm angles. I think Watson even, maybe Watson more is of a jump thrower. Um, but yeah, which are things that in the past, like people would say, you know, your quarterback shouldn't do that. But but these these new age quarterbacks are like, no, I'm going to use new angles to find different ways to get my receiver open and get the ball out. Okay, completion percentage over expectation. He was 16% almost better than his expectation. I don't really like the statistic because I think how you measure it is is the real question, and it's completely non-transparent uh, to, to the world. So I really like to know more about it before I before I tout it. But Mahomes was 3% under this week, and Jackson was 16% over, which is second best in the league behind the great Gardner Minshew. Unbelievable game he had, by the way, 95% completion, 19 of 20. Um, Lamar Jackson, 10.3 air yards for completion, led all NFL quarterbacks. It's an unbelievable first week of quarterbacking, by the way, across the NFL. The aggregate quarterback rating for the entire NFL was 96. By comparison, Peyton Manning's career, 96.5. So on this idea of the 10.3 average air yards, so one stat I want to give out to to ESPN – so uh, some people would argue Lamar is not that much better. People are just trying to recognize it. And I think part of that is true. But the other part is, is Lamar made it very clear this offseason that he wanted to be better with outside throws and deep throws. He showed in this game, deep throws were an improvement. He was nine of 10 for 180 yards mm-hmm. on throws of 10 or more yards downfield. Okay. So that's 90%. Okay. Of, of, of 10 plus yards. Okay, last season, he completed 49.2 of those passes. Okay, so this, he, he made it a goal. He, by his own word, it was not a strength. And at least in week one, that was a massive strength. 
Huge delivery, small sample size, but nine out of ten has signature significance there. That's that's really a, a great result for week one. What I loved about it was, in particular, his longest throw to throw to Brown was an outside the numbers, almost mm. across two thirds of the field kind of a throw, more like forty five percent of the field probably, but it was still a very impressive uh, long throw. Even that. Lamar can go back to the drawing board and say, I can improve on that because he really, if anything, held up Brown on that route. It looked like Brown really had to slow down to come back to Sendejo, which is a replacement safety there that uh, that's playing instead of Grant Delpit, to basically allow him to come back into the play. Whereas I think Lamar will learn or will get better at throwing Brown open by missing the defender by more. That's the way he needs to think of it with Brown because Brown has a speed to run under almost anything. Right, right. And and that was a for for Marquise, that was a career high speed on that play. Mm. So uh so just imagine if he hit him the way you're describing, <laughs> maybe he could even hit the Jets more. So it was over twenty one miles an hour, or was it twenty point five or something? Uh I should have written it down. I need to look it up. Okay, no problem. But it'll take me a minute, yeah. All right. I, I saw that somebody, it was Mostert, I think, got over 22 miles an hour this week, which was really impressive. So he's, you know, he's a track star. All right. Let's uh, let's move on to the rush game. We ought to kind of uh, push forward as we have. I know we have some mailbag questions to get to. Not a good week. It was a week I thought they would try and take advantage of a weak inside linebacker group. Um, but they really moved after the secondary, more of that. And a lot of the running they ended up doing was during the uh, garbage time where they're trying to, you know, have RG3 grind out some time, have Lamar grind out some time on the second to last drive. And the second half, when they led comfortably, is when they ended up punting three times. Um, 20.45. No, that's great. There you go. The 99-yard drive. They have not had a 99-yard drive since 2001. I was at that game at Miami. I'm still shocked they haven't had one since. I'm I'm really shocked that they haven't. It seems like they've had some long drives, particularly in the Lamar era, but um, that was a thing of beauty. It was was incredible. It was incredible. And I don't know which one to be more impressed with, that 99-yard drive or the 69-yard drive in 35 seconds. (laughs) I go back and forth on that. But the moment that Prochet um, made the poor decision, rookie mistake, to let the punt drop and it went to the one-yard line, I thought immediately. I was like, you know what? It's like, it's like John Harbaugh's T-shirt that he gives that to everybody. He's like, good. When a bad situation happens, good, because <laughs> now we have an opportunity. I literally thought from that moment on, I was like, the Ravens have an opportunity to just flex their muscles and show that they can go 99 yards, and and that's exactly what they did. It was absolutely incredible. Yeah, that was the one drive where the offensive line really came together, played very well for the entire drive. They scored 44 of 50 points on that drive, made five out of five pulls, and they had five runs that contributed to the drive as opposed to most of the rest of the game they weren't particularly effective with it. So, uh, you know, lots of, lots of good that happened on the drive. It wasn't all just Lamar throwing them down the field like the 35-second drive was. So, Right, uh, right couple of great ones. A um, little surprised in this game that the Ravens stuck with only two tight ends plus Ricard to go through the open. I'd been saying all week I was expecting somebody to go to IR, probably Matabike, maybe more, because you know they can be back in week four if they miss the first, second, and third games. And it just made sense to me that they would have they brought up somebody 
uh, and one of those or two people, and one of them would have been a tight end uh, that could play some special teams and also you know participate in the offense. But I guess they really don't like Adams or Wolf individually enough, or Wolf may still be hurt that they're really ready to integrate either at this point. I I didn't have the same impression going into it. My I kind of felt like they were going to stick with the two true tight ends and Ricard. Um, I guess for a couple reasons. I think for one, I think we got a little jaded, I think, with the need for three tight ends because the Ravens had three wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful tight ends. And so, like, and, and Roman is tight end. I mean, he's tight end friendly with, with, with the plays that he had called. But, um, but so I think for one, like our expectations were a little bit off, like any other year, if you didn't have those three, you'd be like Nick Boyle and, and Andrews, you got a good tight end, um, set. And, and then the other thing is I feel like they expect more from, uh, not only the receivers, but specifically slot receivers. So you've got Willie Sneed in there and maybe, maybe Devin DuVernay will be, will be brought more along. He had that one good reception and good kick kick returns so uh, and on top of all that i didn't feel like the ravens were really doing much to show that they were in a panic for that so just like every time a veteran wide receiver came up and all the fans were like "Ooh, are they gonna get this name Ooh, are they gonna get this name and i was like the whole time i was like well they could but they're showing me that they're pretty comfortable going with their 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 wide receiver core um so i just got the feeling that they, they Surprised as you were, I guess. Okay, all right. Uh, you know, I I understand that. I I'm I'm bothered continually by what's going on on Twitter in terms of every pass rusher, every wide receiver, every anything <laughs> that comes yeah. up. Uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of there's a cadre of people who want to get that person. There seems to be a much smaller group of people who really want to put a stake in the ground about the cap and say, hey, look. Any yeah. cap dollars we save this year, we get to use next year, and they'll be worth more. Both of those things. Yeah. And and they're never yeah. – I mean, they're like children in terms of wanting candy, literally. They want candy now, 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 now. I mean, you have, you have four kids, right? <laughs> so you know how delayed gratification is not really a – in the um, paradigm of a five-year-old child, say. Well, that's – that's that's where we are. I mean, it's just everybody wants now, now, now. Oh, this is the only window we have for Lamar, um, and uh, and I just I, I get a little tired of it. But I tr- I try not to react I, I to it, a, but I am now. I have a similar. I more think I didn't think of toddlers, although that's a good analogy. I I wonder what people's credit card situation, like the credit <laughs> situation, looks like. <laughs> like you know, like what's the credit score the credit score going on here? It's it's been asked not only that, so you have all these players who are coming up for new contracts that are currently on rookie deals. On top of it, there's a decent chance that the, the salary cap is going to go not just stay the same, but go backwards. Oh, yeah, go down. So you got all these people coming up that you got to sign, and the salary cap could go down. Uh, and on top of it, and this more than anything, and, and Ken, I think, I've already thought this, but you brought it home to me more when I listened to your podcasts. I, you have to build to the draft. The, the, the bottom line is that some of these guys that are homegrown, you're not going to be able to re-sign, and it's going to be devastating. But the good teams restock 
through the draft. And, and you just have to, that's, I just wish that more people's mindsets could be there. You get a couple of smart, modest, like smart, modest moves, like a Calais Campbell, who was only a fifth round draft choice. You know, you get a couple of these guys to put you over the top NFL teams that win the Super Bowl are not really won by being completely built on these expensive free agents. So Anyway, you got me to go off on a tangent there. <laughs> Actually, it's a perfect segue into our next topic, which is you know the rookie contributions to this game and how extraordinary they were. I mean, you know, you expect rookies to contribute on special teams. Let's let's take those snaps out of there. Just the offensive and defensive snaps played in this game, and it so happens I totaled those up ahead of time for another pod. Actually, 198 offensive, sorry, defensive snaps. Sorry, that's not true. That's offensive and defensive snaps. 198 came from rookies, and 121 came from newly acquired free agents. And, you know, your newly acquired free agents, they're, you pay them a lot of money to come patch a hole. That's Campbell, yeah. Wolf, and Fluker. They're three pretty important players for the 2020 Ravens, I think we'd agree. They, they, they tossed in 121 snaps, and they, you know, they pulled their weight, generally speaking. Um, the 198 snaps by rookies is all spread out. Phillips with 56. Dobbins, 23, Duvernay, 11, Prochet, 5, Queen, 54, Washington, 28, and Harrison, 21. So, I mean, that is more rookie production in an opener than the Ravens have ever had. Just, it's a, it's a remarkable start. Matabike is inactive. and He's their second pick in the entire draft. So third pick in the entire draft, right? Third pick. And you know, he would have had a fair number of snaps also. Yes. Um, maybe he just would have taken from Washington. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> so maybe it would have been a wash. Maybe it would have been a wash. But it's not only how much how much they played, but it's what they did with it. Patrick Queen getting a team high eight tackles. He gets his first tack. He, uh, sack. He gets his first force fumble. J.K. Dobbins two rushing touchdowns. Kyrie Phillips starting. Uh, Devin DuVernay, he was probably more impactful on special teams, So and you were throwing that out, but he did have that one first down. And then Malik Harrison with four tackles and one pass defense. Absolutely. Uh, you put it in the best the best words, like no other rookie class has, has contributed that day one. Yeah, lots of everybody kind of had a highlight play. That's what I liked about it. I didn't think anybody's performance was without the scars. But, sure. uh, you know, these, these, these guys, these – these seven guys and Matabike, when he comes back, are the ones who are going to provide the most positive surprises for the 2020 Ravens. And the surprises you get from old players are almost always negative ones. They don't up perform up to expectation. Right. You know, <laughs> right. maybe Jimmy Smith surprises at safety because, you know, that was pretty nice. Maybe somebody else surprises you because they beat the aging curve by saying at the same level. Or maybe Campbell has a slightly better year because he's playing fewer snaps. But, you mm. know, most of the surprises you get from an older player, unfortunately, are negative. They're injuries. They're, they're, they're underperformance relative to cap. Well said. All right, let's move on here. Uh, what do we want to talk about? We have that. I just want to compare you to 2019 Ravens, by the way. They're, they're the first game, they had great contributions. They had Brown with two touchdowns, Boykin with a touchdown, and Hill had a few touches. But they also had Ferguson, Powers, McSorley, and Mack, who were inactive, and Marshall on IR. So you don't get this kind of a broad contribution set. So anyway, very well, impressive. Well, to, to your point, right, okay, so we know now, going into the third year, how fantastic the 2018 draft class was, mm -hmm. right? You got Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, um, 
Hayden Hurst, who's now traded away, uh, Orlando Brown, Deshaun Elliott, Bradley Bozeman. All of those guys minus Hurst are starters today. None of them started week one, their rookie years. Great point. So that's how phenomenal that draft, we know how phenomenal that draft class, and not even them compared to the contributions this draft class has already done comparing each week one. Yeah, that's a great point. Three starters out of this group and then and then all these other players who who had time. So mm-hmm. uh, I'll say I think we've beaten this topic to death probably now. Any other <laughs> skill position players you'd like to talk about? We've hit on a lot of them, obviously, throughout this, but uh, any others in terms of their performance? Uh, I mean, Mark Andrews was, uh, you know, are you talking about just rookies or in general? In general, anybody you want to talk about. It's not usually the way we do this is we just alternate picking one until we're about done. And if we if we think okay. we've hit everybody already, that's fine too. But Andrews, obviously a, a top shelf game. You want to talk about him? Yeah, Mark Andrews. I mean, it's just he's he's a wide receiver in a tight end's body. Um, I, lo- I loved his two touchdowns. My favorite play from Andrews was probably the one, and it was a great throw by Lamar too. He's covered... But um, his his guy isn't looking at the ball. I mean, he's totally covered. And Lamar throws it anyway. Lamar throws it perfectly in there, has the, a, a nice touch to it. But, but Andrews just, like, gets up over this guy, plucks the ball. It was just – it was incredible. Oh, and the other one-hander, when, when his first touchdown, Lamar Jackson really had the layup, but overthrew him. And, mm-hmm. and Mark Jackson just climbs, gets the one-hander, he is so reliable. He is so, I mean, he's a, he's a pro bowler. I think he's just becoming next level where I think he's going to be getting a lot of, he was already a pro bowler, but uh, I think he's going to, he needs to be talked about more in the top three, Travis Kelsey. And, and why am I forgetting the Zach Ertz the maybe? San Francisco. Or... Yeah. San oh, okay. Francisco. Kittle. Yeah, sure. Kittle. Kittle, Kittle, Kittle. But he, I mean, the Ravens fans talk about him in that, in that regard, but I'm, I'm hoping this year the national media will, will start to catch on too. Yeah. I, I mean, I think they are. I mean, he's, he was a, a all pro last year, so it's, it's reasonable to think that they've got that. Wait a minute. Was he all pro second team? Maybe. Okay. Whatever. Um, I, I, uh, so much to like about about Andrew's game. I think we've we've hit on it enough, though. I liked Boykin. I like the fact that he created an extended play with that catch by the right sideline. So there are rules that go with that in terms of what receivers have to go over there. But that's not a place where Boykin typically would be. He usually lines up on the left side uh, more often than not, and he runs a you know a series of routes that might be down the left sideline or into the middle of the field. But going all the way to the right of the field is unusual. And maybe he's a guy that builds a level of trust with Lamar as well in terms of a go-to receiver when the play breaks down. And, I'd, you know, you'd like to have more than one of those, more than two of those, because I think Brown and and uh, Andrews are both that right now. But, boy, would it be nice to have another guy with that kind of connection. Love it. Just Miles Boykin taking the next next step would be huge. Uh, speaking of, uh, we'll stick with the wide receivers, Willie Sneed, I mean, not only, I mean, he had that nice, touchdown uh catch from from lamar uh but once again i just want to give a shout out to his blocking um when Dobbins scored his first touchdown uh both ronnie and willie willie sneed had excellent blocks on that i mean i I just uh, willie is just such an unsung um grinder out there uh i just love him so so i wanted to give a shout out to him for that touchdown and for again his blocking skills 
Yeah, he's he's definitely one of the guys. And he he he's built very compactly, very muscular, and he he does not complain at all about being a wide receiver in motion who has to dive in and almost block like one of the Ravens' tight ends because the Ravens mm-hmm. use a lot of their motion on the tight ends or on Ricard as a fullback, but they but they also uh, use it on Sneed sometimes. And when they do that, they you know they're expecting Sneed to throw a meaningful block in there, and he does a very good job with it. He's a underrated blocker we i think everybody sees how good a blocker boykin is because it's more obvious in terms of his physical tools but sneed very good blocker i see here i want to ask you real quick you have in your show notes ingram now number two or three (laughs) well i think what's this about i mean obviously dobbins has has it, it appears has taken over the marquee role on this team now as the top back it's interesting because the depth chart comes out and they listed him as number four back, and yeah. you should have gotten whatever money you could down on that topic already because now the, the 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 veil is off. Um, it may be a case where, as with Carr, you know they they gave him a lot of respect as continuing to allow him to start games and pulling him off on after one play. Uh, yeah, but they might still do that with with Ingram, but I I think that Ingram is the kind of leader who might not even want that treatment. He'll get his touches during the game. Um, you know, he, I don't think additional GSs for him in that second column are going to be right. all that meaningful. I think he wants a ring, another ring. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I wasn't ready to go there. It's calling him number two yet, but I, I hear you. Um, I hear you. And I will say of all people, I remember when, um, Willis McGahee, People try to make that a big deal, and I loved him because he was like, "Are you kidding me? I love that I get to share because you're just extending my career and you're <laughs> expen- you're extending my earning years." And if you watched Ingram, he was he was um, he was Mike that game. You couldn't you couldn't have a better teammate. Like if he were to be surpassed, he would he would cheer on Dobbins just as much as the way he's cheered on Lamar. So I'm not quite ready to go there that he's number two, but you might be right. We'll see. Uh, Edwards obviously lost some carries to, to the new situation, the new pecking order, but I think Ingram is actually going to lose the most. Going back to McGahee for a second, McGahee in 2008, when Rice arrived and McLean became a star, you know, in, mm-hmm. the, in that same year, he really did move down and, and wasn't even, I don't think he was even active for every single game. But what he became was really special in terms of running that goal line stretch play for the Ravens, that they scored so many touchdowns by inserting Nada as a tight end. And it, it became, it was unstoppable as a play. I mean, it's almost like we think of the fourth and two play that Lamar would run. But uh, but for, for younger Ravens fans, if you haven't ever had a chance to see that, go to YouTube, go to other places where those 2008 games might still be there and watch McGahee run that stretch with Nada in there and just see how, how could opposing teams ever stop it. <laughs> That's good. I'll have to go back and look. All right. Well, how about we go to the mailbag now? We we ready to do that? All right. Sure yep. thing. All right. Like normal, you guys cover a whole lot of stuff that overlaps with the mailbag. But again, you can get in your questions uh, using the hashtag film study mailbag. There's always a few questions in here that uh, sometimes are questions that Ken doesn't want to really dig into. So they'll sneak into the mailbag. Um <laughs> And, Ken, we're going to start with one of those. A conceptual question from John Whitelock. What player on another NFL team would you like to add to this squad? Yeah, see, that's a, that's a cool kind of question. Um, 
I, you know, in in adding somebody like that, I'd want to add a player who was cheap for this year and would fill a big need for the Ravens because I don't really want to spend a ton of cap. So the kind of the kind of player I'd like, I'd like a backup left tackle, not a swing tackle, a, a guy who can actually play left tackle from some team. And I don't have a name for you of who that would be because those guys are unusual around the rest of the league. But I'll take a first contract left tackle who's decent. The guy, you know, the guy for San Francisco, I think his name was Brunskill. He played against the Ravens last year, might fit into that category. So uh, it would be that kind of a player. So I'm not going to excite anybody by wanting uh, Clowney or, you know, Clay Matthews or anybody else. Uh, you know, there are a couple of, of left. Is Cordy Glenn, I don't think, is signed yet with anybody. Uh, he might be a guy that, that the Ravens might look at and try and get at a reasonably cheap rate. And maybe he'd come here at, at not too expensive rate, even though I think you know part of his deal of sitting out is he wants to wants to get a pretty good contract in what will likely be his last deal. But he could come here for a year, earn a ring, and set himself up for another contract if he really saw an opportunity to play here. All right. At least you snuck a little bit of a name in there. You were trying yeah, to that's avoid a little bit of a name. putting in a name. Um, Sarah, it, what do you think? You got anybody you'd like of like that's either out there now or on somebody else's roster that the Ravens might be able to have? Well, I think I think I, I, think I saw that question earlier, and and the, he at the very end he said a realistic. Yes, a realistic, I was just going to say. Yeah, yeah I, I edited it. Like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, because. I mean, sure. I mean, I could go and be like, ooh, yeah, this all-pro player. I'd love to have, you know, I'd love to have another pass rusher. Um, I, I don't have any specific names. To be honest with you, I don't, I don't pay enough attention to the free agent wire. Uh, I thought it was very telling, the reports that came out, that the Ravens tried to get Clowney through a trade, through a, mm-hmm. you know, sign-in trade. So, I think that does tell you something that they do want to augment the pass rushing unit, which I, um, I still, I don't know if I'm, you know, it, it's just not the strength of the defense. And so anybody like people have been asking about Ziggy Ansah and uh, an affordable pass rusher. Is there anybody out there that's better than what the Ravens have with McPhee and Ferguson and Tyus Bowser. Ons has been around. He, I don't know what he's really, I don't know that he's really done that much. So for the money that they had, to me, it would have to be something that is just completely off my radar that Eric did last year with Marcus Peters. Like it's just so off the radar, but he pulls out this very, um, you know, doable deal that wasn't terribly expensive with, you know, a, 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 a fifth rounder. And I can't remember what Marcus Peters' uh, cap hit was at the time, um, but it, but but uh, anyway, I mean, it's a terrible answer. I don't have a specific name, and I'm more of the realistic point of view that I'm just like, who else is really out there that's better? And so that's why a backup left tackle makes makes sense. <laughs> you know, the, the, you, you bring up a good point though. That first of all, they might want a pass rusher, and second of all, I think there are a lot of teams out there that will be in a position that they're really going to try and shed cap at the trade deadline. And they won't be able to shed a ton of cap. They're going to have to eat some of it themselves. But everybody should be looking to push cap forward into 2021 by saving it for the rest of the year. So there will be some players out there who should be available. And it might be a guy who's on a $10 million deal who still has, you know, 10 games to play in the season. So you pay 10 sixteenths of 10 million 
and maybe mm-hmm. that drops it into the Ravens' aff- affordable range. If they're convinced, in fact, at that point, that they're as much of a Super Bowl contender as we hope. Well, and they did uh, reportedly restructure Brennan Williams again. So they did free up, from what I understand, about $3 million more. Now, maybe that's them leaving themselves open for one of those types of deals uh, down the line in the middle of the season. Yeah, you know, one of the other things that could save them some money is restructuring uh, Ronnie Stanley. So if that happened and they extended him right now, they could, I believe they can still cut his cap hit this year. I may be wrong about that. Probably should not speak to it, but it is it is possible that they could they could reduce his cap hit. So that would be a way that they could still do well. He's in his fifth year, right? So he's on that fifth year option um, mm-hmm. money right now, which is pretty significant. So which is expensive, it, yeah. yeah. Are you comfortable with this set of wide receivers, or do you feel like that veteran, reliable wide receiver is missing? Yeah, I hit on that. I'm, I'm, no, I don't think that, that anything is missing. I mean, not anything. I'd like to see these rookies progress, but I wouldn't bring in anybody. I mean, they had a chance at Des. They could have hand, had Antonio Bryan <laughs> if they wanted to. Oh, uh, I'm so glad that I haven't had to talk about that for a couple of weeks. Um, no, no, I love this. I love this rookie group. I mean, Marquise Brown is ready to. I mean, become a thousand yard receiver. He certainly has it with him. Mark Andrews. I know it's a tight end, but he has a thousand yards within him. Uh, Miles Boykin had a great first game. Let these two rookies come in. I'm here for developing these young rookies and letting them take the next step. I have no interest in a veteran. Exact same spot. Exact same spot because anybody you pick up and the big name today, of course, is Odell Beckham is probably on the trading block mm-hmm. uh, and he should be after the crappy game he just played. Um, but but if you if you bring in any player, he's going to take snaps away, development snaps away from that rookie. And it's going to be one of those rookies or more. And it's going to delay the amount of the period at which you know what you have and what the Ravens have done well, at least a little bit in recent years, is identifying that player at least by the middle of year three, so you can restructure right then before year four and get yeah. favorable terms on the long-term deal. They did it with Patrick Ricard, of course, uh, and they did it with Chuck Clark. So those were great signings for this team mm-hmm. uh, to get done in a timely manner. Tavon Young was another one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully that works out because he was hurt in year four. But yeah. It was hurt, yeah. But it was that type of deal. All right, well, you guys did an excellent job uh, reading the film study mailbag questions ahead of time and fitting all the answers in as you did the show and even sneaking in here uh, at the end with Jalen's question about can Hollywood Brown be the first 1,000-yard receiver since Steve Smith. So all that's uh, been covered. You can get your questions in using the hashtag film study mailbag on Twitter or commenting on anything over on filmstudybaltimore.com. All right, Sarah, thank you for joining us. Can you uh, share your Twitter and uh, any other plugs you'd like to get out right now? Yeah, my Twitter is SG Ellison. Um, I just started up doing um, uh, with Kadri Ishmael. We uh, are doing post-game Twitter live uh, chats. So we, we started that last week. Um, so you can just get that from my Twitter feed or Kadri's Twitter feed. Um, we usually start after the pressers 
and so last week is our first one, and we're going to be doing that uh, after each game this 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 year. So uh, S G Ellison or over at Cadre's Twitter account. Very cool. Very cool. He was a great guy. That's uh, that must be a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. All right, Josh, how about 336? What's going on with that? Uh, Orioles season's wrapping up. Just a couple more weeks left. And there's a brand new Section 336 that came out this evening as well to uh, kind of put things in perspective after this shortened season. So, right. All right. And then we're, we're on to our regular. Oh, go ahead. I'll go, I'll go ahead. So we're, we're on to our regular schedule. And that means an offensive podcast tapes Monday night, a defensive fight. Sorry, defensive podcast Monday night. Offensive podcast on Tuesday night, where we are now. A know your foe tomorrow on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we have a by the numbers podcast, which is an interesting new one. It'll be a more of a quick hitter, but uh, we're, I'm doing it with a fellow actuary who is uh, also quite a football analyst. And I think that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, we're, uh, we're actually recording the first one of those right after this tonight. So uh, we're looking forward to it. Articles are up there. Offensive line scoring will be up uh, no later than Thursday of this week including the graphs uh, that you're familiar with. All right. And then, yeah, we'll keep that schedule next week. And then the week after, it's Monday Night Football, so it all screws up and we have to shift everything around. <laughs> so, all right, guys. Well, thanks again, and we will talk soon. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.